And when I get within earshot, I go, Senator Feingold? He's like, yeah. And I go, hey, I'm Ivana. I was your waitress at the Starfish Cafe. You had the chilled seafood platter. I didn't know who you were then, but I do now. And you're a fine man. (laughs) Hey, welcome back to the clubhouse. I'm Arielle Hudes, and I'm so glad you're here. So the driving force behind Clubhouse is this idea that you don't have to do what Sheryl Sandberg does to be successful and to have a story that's worth telling and a story that can inspire other people. But at the same time, unless you're in a position like Sheryl Sandberg's or whatever CEO or bestseller, fill in the blank, unless you're in a position like that, you probably don't have the chance to share your story publicly. And that means everyone who could learn from hearing it misses out. So we're changing that in the clubhouse. And today we're changing it with Ivana's story. And Ivana is amazing. She's a state senator in Nevada as of about a year ago. And she's only 30, so it's a big deal. And she's the first Latina state senator ever in Nevada. And she's in law school at the same time and has another full-time job. So it's a pretty impressive position to be in. But getting to this point has included maybe a lot less perfect planning and goal setting than you might expect if you just saw Ivana's current resume. And she shared really candidly that even now that she's in this awesome role, her goals are still a lot more about personal growth than career trajectory. I am leading a life that I never imagined. As a result, I get to do things that I never imagined and meet people that I never imagined. It feels like every day is so distinct from the one before and that every day I get to move the needle forward just a little bit on things that I think are really important. And I feel very lucky to have the opportunity to get to do that. The first and most important thing I'm working on is myself. I schedule time to do things like see my therapist, work out, catch up with a friend, the same way that I schedule conference calls or anything work-related. So I have me. That's one column. The second column is... Um, The second column is law school, and that is really hard, but I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to do it. And then there's the Citizenship Project, which is my job. It's a nonprofit that I run that offers naturalization assistance to people free of cost. And then there's my state Senate responsibilities. So Ivana grew up pretty far from where she is now. She lived in Miami for most of her childhood with parents who had moved to the U.S. from Cuba. In my house, I learned Spanish before I knew English. And I have these very vivid memories of my dad in particular would come home and he would tell me in Spanish, I don't speak English. And I'd get so like red in the face, angry, because I knew he did. And he wouldn't let me speak to him in English. We could only talk in Spanish. And at the time, it was infuriating. But in retrospect, I'm so lucky that both of my parents invested in my brother and me really learning Spanish because it's been a tremendous gift. Miami is such, it is such a melting pot city. And in Almost all of my friends had parents who were either Cuban or from somewhere in Latin America. And so it felt like the norm. Until I got to college, did I realize that that is actually not the norm, that um, 
I guess it's when I first learned what it means to be a minority. Yeah, because you went really far from Miami for school, from sunny, sunny Miami to chilly, chilly Chicago. Yeah, and got to go to Northwestern for a debate camp on a scholarship the summer before my senior year. And that's how they suck you in, is you get to spend the summer in Chicago. And who can say no to a summer in Chicago? And <laughs> That's so funny. How did your family feel about you going so far? And, like, were you – was going far away part of the appeal or just a side effect of liking Northwestern? So neither of my parents went to college. And one of the things from a very early age that was talked about in my house was not only are you going to college, but you can't stay in Florida for college. You got to go live somewhere else. And that meant pushing us to get out of Miami and shoot towards Ivy League and really top universities. So then and then what was it like when you landed there at this big, prestigious university far away? Um, You know, it was such an interesting experience because I really the only the only tools I had to know what to expect were through popular culture. And so on the one hand, I knew college was going to require a lot of hard work, but I also thought college meant a lot of fun and I didn't really know what to expect. And I think I would have benefited from, and this isn't just as a first generation college kid. I think it's true just generally that students would benefit from having help in getting to the end point of college. I feel like I made all sorts of mistakes along the way and luckily ended up on track to graduate and have a really wonderful experience. I think a lot of us can identify with having had an almost accidental experience that ends up being really a turning point for us. And Ivana, as you'll hear, has a lot of those. But maybe one of the first was a summer she spent in D.C. doing an internship that she had no idea at the time would be really influential in where she would end up. By pure chance, I have no Nevada connection. I had interned for then-Majority Leader Harry Reid in Washington, D.C. as a Hispanic press intern. So I got to work in his Hispanic press shop and be in the middle of the Justice Sotomayor confirmations, which were happening that summer. And it was so incredible to see Harry Reid shepherd that entire process and to be on his Hispanic press team and just absorbing as much as possible was a tremendous experience. I worked in the Capitol from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m., and then I bartended Dash Waitress from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m., oh my and God. I loved it. Did you love it at the time, or do you love it in retrospect? <laughs> I got to do – so I um, I got to bartend and waitress at this place that was very close to the Capitol in Eastern Market, and it was this wonderful kind of – melting pot of Capitol Hill staff and elected officials. And I just had a great time. And I'll tell you a story that was kind of demonstrative of what my life was like then. So I'm behind the bar and these two gentlemen come in and one has a Senate ID badge on. And I'm thinking, okay, Ivana, you got to network, like focus, make friends with this guy. Hey, who are you? Oh, I work in um, Senator Feingold's office. 
and I must have shown like my I have no idea who that is face and he goes <laughs> you know Wisconsin I'm like oh Wisconsin I go to school in Chicago winter haha and kind of try to de- you know deflect the conversation gentleman number two comes up we talk about how I'm interning in Reed's office make small talk and go to Google Senator Feingold the next day or later that night come to find out the senator was in fact gentleman number two what? and I'm mortified what? <laughs> just <laughs> totally totally embarrassed oh my and God. a few weeks later I'm walking to work and I spot Senator Feingold whose name is now impressed in my head for the rest of my life <laughs> and I, I lose all social graces and I stare him down so much so that he gives me the casual wave of like, I see you. Thank you. And when I get within earshot, I go, Senator Feingold. He's like, yeah. And I go, hey, I'm Ivana. I was your waitress at the Starfish Cafe. You had the chilled seafood platter. I didn't know who you were then, but I do now. And you're a fine man. <laughs> and he looks at me like, you are insane. Oh, my God. But that was my summer. It was a series of <laughs> experiences like that. And oh my God. it was just wonderful. Okay, and at that point, did you have any inkling in your head that in, what, seven or eight years, you would be in the kind of position where you at least are moving in the direction where you guys might be sitting in a meeting together or might come across each other on some sort of event? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I like, appreciated DC as a total outsider, but I, I could have seen myself doing Capitol Hill work or behind-the-scenes work, but I had no interest in being in office I was in a long-term relationship that was long distance at the time and I really thought that post-graduation just meant figuring out how to be in the same city as this guy that I'd been dating for a long time I didn't think much beyond that and when I realized that I didn't actually want to move to Nashville where he was, I thought, well, then let, I'm just going to do something that buys me some time and I'll do the Peace Corps. And mm. somehow that sounded like a good idea. And I got all my paperwork through and got an expedited placement to be in Tanzania in September of 2010. And through what I now know was a really, really deliberate organizing campaign on behalf of my mom, I ended up <laughs> not doing it. And um, I thought, well, it looks like Reed's going to lose. It's probably bad for the country if he loses. So I'll go work on a political campaign in Las Vegas. Had no idea what that looked like, but applied and was hired to organize Latino voters on the east side of Las Vegas. And about three weeks after graduation was moving to Vegas and in this very whirlwind kind of crazy decision making. Wow. I really believe in listening to the universe and that signs are present and we just have to kind of look for guidance from higher powers. For me it's God, for other people it's the universe, whatever whatever you want to call it. I think that there is a higher power that gives us clues as to the direction we should head in. That's so interesting. And I I love that you're in tune with that deeper power. And, um, you know, as somebody who's in a position like yours, just open and willing to talk about um, the role that plays in your decision making. One of the things that my mom pushed me on when I thought I was serious about when I was serious about the Peace Corps is she said, you know, 
it's so sad that if anything happens to your grandparents, you won't be able to come home because you'll be in Tanzania. And that was the kicker for me in deciding not to do the Peace Corps. In September of 2010, my grandfather was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and I was able to go home and say bye to him before he died, in large part because I was in Las Vegas and not Tanzania. Right. And I didn't think that was an accident. I thought it was kind of the, you know, God reaffirming that I had made the right decision and that I should open myself to what's possible in Las Vegas. And it was that experience that made me think about staying in Las Vegas after the campaign. And it's just been an incredible set of kind of dominoes falling that has gotten me to where I am today. Well, I was lucky enough to meet the then head of the Culinary Union, his name's Dee Taylor, that summer. And I was connected to him through my college roommate, who is from Nevada, had no idea that I was meeting with someone who will go down in history of having changed Las Vegas's landscape for workers and politically. And I have no background in organized labor. I didn't even really know what a union was. But I um, I will never forget sitting with him and talking for almost an hour and a half about the civil rights movement. And he said, if you're interested in staying in Vegas after making it through a summer, call me. I said, okay. And after the election, I knew I wanted to stay in Vegas because I had gotten a, a glimpse into what was possible when people come together like the bulk of folks who made my campaign office run were high school students who would volunteer their time because they believed in Harry Reid as the person who was going to deliver the dream act and it was this incredible community and I called D back after the campaign and said I want to stay in Vegas and he said great and I went to work at the union and my first day there was a committee meeting committee are the worker leaders and it was this room of probably 100 to 150 workers who were developing a strategy together about how to take on management and fight for the union and I was in the back of the room in tears and I'd never felt that before about anything there was like nothing in my being that felt like there was a reasonable other side for why People who work hard should be denied good health care, good wages, a decent retirement, and job security. It just, I don't know, it just, it all clicked. And um, I ended up working at the union for six and a half years. And I have the union's logo tattooed over my heart. And whenever I'm nervous, my tick is to scratch over the tattoo because I, I've been in meetings with people who are, you know, important and they're such big deals. But what I learned through the union is that it's ordinary people whose names will never be in history books, but have done more courageous things and demanding a better life for themselves and changing the course for workers for the rest of time and are, in my opinion, warriors and the real definition of what bravery means. 
community of the union kept Ivana going through six and a half years where she was really far from family. And at that point, she decided it was time to move on. And she had a plan to get closer to her family. But at that moment, there was about to be another one of these turning points. I really thought, okay, this is a good timeline. I can do the election cycle here and move on after Hillary Clinton becomes president. I wanted to make 2016, for lack of a better description, my mic drop year. And then Hillary doesn't win. Yeah. And I woke up the next day, and it just so happened that one of the people that we had helped elect to Congress was my state senator. I thought, well, he's going to Congress. There's going to have to be a state senator in that district. Donald Trump is president. I think this is the moment where everyone has to step up and do more than they've been doing and do work that maybe is a little uncomfortable, but that helps protect the progress we've made over the last eight years. And I decided to stick around and put my name in um, to the county commission and see if I'd get appointed. And I did. Wow. Okay. I had no idea that's how it went down, that you actually threw your name in the hat, which is so brave and bold. It, it goes back to that moment in 2010 where it felt like God had, you know, kind of said, hey, stick around in Vegas. There might be something here. And it's just felt that at every moment I've tried to leave, a greater opportunity has presented itself. And it felt like that was just an extension of that. Like my, I don't know, it sounds crazy to think about it like that, but it really just felt like I couldn't say no. Like this was in my gut, I knew this was the right thing to do at this moment. It just so happened that a nonprofit that I was on the board of needed an executive director. And so I took that job. I was I was hired for that job. I applied for the state Senate and I decided I was going to make Nevada my home for the foreseeable future, all within the course of a month. And what were your biggest fears at that moment? Like the moment you threw your name in? So I knew that I didn't want to go into office and be someone who was just making a ton of noise about how awful Trump was. I wanted to be making good policy that actually protected and fought for the same people I'd been in the trenches with during my time at the culinary. Wow. And how are the people around you responding? Like your family, but also the people at the culinary? Everyone was supportive, but also like, are you because you've been trying to leave Nevada for six years. It's really hard to explain to people, this is what feels right. It's what's in my gut, and I, I trust my gut. People look at you funny when you say things like that. But there is something about being in tune with that inner voice, that inner feeling, that almost always guides you in the right direction, and I just trusted in that. Wow, that's it's incredible. I mean, I couldn't agree more, but I also know how hard it can be to listen to that inner voice when there's when there's outer voices and when there can be conflicting inner voices. Yeah, no doubt. And I'm lucky that it was it was just one. It was it just it felt right. How does it feel to have this responsibility on your shoulders of of this um of being the state senator and it's like a big change in the last year. Do you feel it every day? Yeah. <laughs> I, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> and yes. Um, so I'm the first Latina ever in the Nevada State Senate, which is crazy. It took till 2017 for that to happen, but it did. And 
I feel a responsibility to make sure that part of my work in office is opening the door so that I'm not the last and that I'm not the only one in a few years yeah. and really empowering young Latina leaders, young leaders generally, but certainly young Latina women to think about the political space. So that's one level of pressure that isn't as quantifiable as the rest, but that I take really seriously. And the rest is figuring out how to do the work so that people believe they have a representative that's going to Carson City to fight for them. And just doing a lot of listening and a lot of saying, I don't know, will you teach me? And learning from folks who are experts on everything from business to neighborhood development and have issues as big as, you know, needing to change licensing for a certain profession all the way to something as small as wanting to change the way that the police interact with kids in their neighborhood and some of the stuff I have the power to do something about, a lot of the stuff I don't, and it's trying to point people in the right direction and give them faith that there are government officials who will work with them and for them. So last session, I got assigned to chair the Natural Resources Committee. I'm severely unqualified for. I might qualifications where I use water, I have a dog, <laughs> and I hike sometimes. So really not at all qualified and learned a lot by the end of session and leaned heavily on my rural Republican colleagues to help me navigate some of the issues. What I'm most proud of from last session is I worked on a bill to introduce transparency into diabetes drug pricing. Wow. It's really awful what's happened to the cost of insulin in this country. You can, the same vial today uh, costs anywhere from 300 to 1,000% as it did uh, 10 years ago. What? And it's a 95-year-old drug. And people with diabetes, particularly with type 1 diabetes, rely on insulin to stay alive. So we're talking about people literally having to choose between life and death because they can't afford their diabetes medications and no explanation from manufacturers as to why drugs are, why insulin in particular, but all drugs generally are becoming more and more expensive. So in working with diabetes patients, working with the culinary union and working with some of the gaming companies in town, we got a bipartisan bill passed and signed into law that inserts transparency from the manufacturer all the way to the pharmacist. No other state has done it. No other state has figured out how to do this kind of work. And we did it in Nevada in a bipartisan fashion. And it's a testament to what's possible at the state level and what happens when people work together. Wow, that's just so cool. And I, I mean, I don't know if you're being modest or if it's just really who you are, which I, I think it's probably the latter. But um you should be so proud and like every day oh. be waking up like, damn, I'm helping people <laughs> doing stuff <laughs> that nobody else is going to do if it wasn't you. Well, yeah, it was um, definitely a, a collaborative effort. And um, yeah, I, I'm very proud of it. And I'm proud of Nevada for figuring out how to do something like that in a bipartisan way. It was signed into law by a Republican governor. It sounds like you're having 
fun? Is it, I know it's something you kind of came into at the last minute. Now, is it something you think you'll stay with for a long time? Um, I am going to run for election, so I'm, um, I'm campaigning now and it's pretty exciting cool. and I will stay in public office as long as Trump is in the white house. Um, after that I'll reevaluate things, but okay. in the meantime, it feels like with nothing good getting done at the federal level, like it's really important to do good work at the state level. Ivana's been busy in her 20s, and it would be easy to look at where she is now and say it was a perfect, smooth path. But she says the reality is that while she was doing work she really cared about, her personal life was kind of suffering. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to leave Las Vegas, and that meant not really investing in relationships or community in a way that um, makes you feel connected to a place. And that coupled with the fact that my family's so far away and that I'm very close to my family meant that I really didn't have a personal life. And today I have just taken, I've taken a lot of time to invest in the relationships and kind of the network of people that I always knew I had here, but had never really invested in. And now I find myself doing everything from going to, local theater productions to grabbing dinner with friends multiple nights a week and just trying to have a much more well-rounded life I think has been very helpful and would not have happened had I not made the decision to say Nevada is my home. Well that's um I'm glad you're doing that now but it's it's tough to hear like you know that you could go through a lot of your 20s and and feel like you uh didn't get to have dinner with friends multiple times a week. Yeah, it, we live in an era where it's so easy to compare your life to your friends around you, whether they're in the same city or around the country. And I think I spent a lot of my 20s kind of wishing that I was leading the life some of my friends were leading, whether it was because they were traveling or they were all in the same city or just having different experiences than the ones that I have in that I was having. And if I had one regret over the last over through the course of my 20s it would be that that I didn't take the time to recognize the life that was in front of me that I was leading and spent a lot of time wishing that I was doing something else is stupid I always ask guests about success and what it means to them and I love hearing different women's perspectives on this because I think the answer is very rarely what we expect it will be based on external ex- appearances And for Ivana, I think that's definitely the case because success for her is not about winning re-election or climbing some sort of political totem pole. She actually defines success really succinctly with just two words. Being present. And you get to be present because you've managed your time correctly, because you've figured out how to do the work it takes to actually be in the moment. I think true success is when you're able to be present and enjoy the moment um, as opposed to having to feel manic. Totally feel that. I don't know how you're able to feel that way in the wild life you have right now. Um, But admire very much that you that you strive for it or that you're figuring out how to do it. I can take a page out of your book. It has been a journey. I realized 
kind of at the end of last year that I have a team for everything else in my life. I have a campaign team. I have classmates and professors that I learn from. I work on a team. And the only area of my life that did not have a team was myself. And so I pulled in all the self-help kind of wisdom that I could. So I have a therapist. I've seen a therapist and continue to see a therapist. I went to see a hypnotherapist. I work with a life coach now who helps on organizational management. I um, even went to do an astrology reading and I got a personal trainer. Just built a team of folks who are experts in time management and self-awareness and it's made a huge difference in my life. That's awesome. I also went to a yeah, sort of life organizational coach for a year before coming to school and I had my business and found it to be, actually, it's exactly as you described. It's like feeling like you have a team member to figure out things that are otherwise only stuck in your own head. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. you never get (laughs) unless you pay someone. (laughs) Right. Right. And just like you can help you come up with tools in the toolbox of, you know, figuring out life, trying out different things and figuring out what you need that I think it's so important and get into a routine that is fine. You're getting everything you need done, but that can actually allow you to feel joy in your work. And so much of what we do every day is work that if it doesn't bring you joy, it's just exhausting. And I don't want to live that way. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. Um, and a nice segue into thinking about over the course of your lifetime, what does success mean to you in that big scale? I think it means balance. Um, it means having it means having money, but not needing to be a gajillionaire. It means being close to your family, but not being only about family and having uh, just having the right amount of balance in all areas of life and working, but also being able to turn your phone off for a few hours a day and not feeling like the world's going to come to an end and taking vacations and spending time looking at art and really finding um, a way to feel like you are your best self. I feel so lucky to have women like you stepping up and also really grateful that you were willing to share your story. Thank you so much. And big special thanks to Chanot Taylor, who is the linchpin in this whole episode. She's the college roommate who introduced Ivana to Dee at the beginning of her time in Las Vegas and got her into the union. And she's my friend who said, you've got to meet this woman, Ivana. Okay, Clubhouse launched about two weeks ago, and so many people have been really generous in sharing ideas and feedback, and my definition of success for this project is feeling like I'm providing something people find valuable. So I really can't say thank you enough to everyone who went out of their way to give it a listen. We're back in three weeks with the story of a Detroit mom who's running a, quote, laboratory for artists, and she's so cool. In the meantime, there's updates on the show and our guests on Instagram at Ariel Hudes. Thank you so much to Jess Zambri of Salvi for the music that you've heard throughout the episode and to Karis Reed for the painting that you see in our logo. 